ahead and grab a seat. It really is wonderful to worship Jesus with you today. If you're just checking this whole thing out, I hope you can tell that we make a big deal about Jesus around here at Overlay Christian Church, and it's just wonderful to worship him. I do want you to know that no matter how big of a deal we can declare Jesus to be, he is a bigger deal, deal still, that, it, that no matter how wonderful we say that he is, Jesus is more wonderfuler. Uh, you can write that down. Um, so yeah, if you want to grab your notes out of your handout, uh, you'll see that we are jumping into a series talking about the final days of Jesus. We're kind of walking toward Easter, and um, as we as we take a look at, at some of these episodes that we, the the God in the last couple of weeks of of Jesus' ministry and and some of the things that that he uh, experienced and, and walked through, what we're going to do is we're going to land on who he was, the primary purpose for which he came. That's why today's message is talking about fulfilling his purpose. Now, I do want you to know there's a lot of purpose confusion in the world, and we were trying to think, what are some fun ways to illustrate this? Uh, we found a duck that thinks it's a flamingo, right? Just a little confusion. We found a cat named Steve who thinks he's a lamb, uh, so that was, you know, a little... Uh, and then we found a cow that thinks it's a horse, um, which I find hilarious. Uh, so, you know, just that kind of a, a purpose confusion. Or then uh, Pastor Pat was telling me a story. You know, he and his wife Leah just had their beautiful little baby boy named Sailor, and they got a bunch of gifts given at their baby showers. A couple of those gifts, they didn't really know what they were for. Uh, for example, this handy item, it's called the bum spatula. The bum spatula, yeah. So, so Pat actually had to research what this is for, and what it's for is it's, it's for putting diaper cream on your baby's bottom, kind of just spreading it around like a frosting a cake, you know, getting it in the little nooks and crevices. And Now, there is a danger with the bum spatula is you cannot accidentally put it with your other spatulas. <laughs> So gross, Pastor. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. But this idea, right, of, of, of purpose confusion, we see how it exists. In fact, I was, um, I was thinking how many things are created with a primary purpose, and when we deviate around that primary purpose, there, there, it really gets a little strange. For example, I read this week an article, the 16 uses for your Listerine. And I was, I was actually kind of bothered to find out that my mouthwash can also serve as a way to rid my dog of fleas. I think I'll just stick with the fresh breath, right? Like, um, and, and, and yet we do this all the time. We use things for purposes other than which they were created. By show of hands, how many of you have ever taken a shoe and used it as a doorstop? Anybody ever used a shoe as a doorstop? Right. And yet you know that the shoe is created for a much greater purpose. For those of you who love shoes, much deeper and more holy purpose than just holding the door open. And, and, and yet we do this, right? And the challenge is to recognize that everything in the universe has a primary purpose. You have a primary purpose, and so do I. And certainly so does Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. It's what we're getting into. And a little bit of backstory, maybe if you're just new to church or you're new to the person of Jesus in his life, you need to know that Jesus has been on a steadfast journey over the course of his entire life. 
And, and now, at the time of this episode, he's about 33 years old. It's, it's right near the end of his life. And, and yet, everything about his life, from, from the situation of his birth, when he was born in poverty, to his steadfast integrity all the way through, he was a steady student of scriptures early on in his young life, and in fact, amazing the priests and the other leaders in the temple when he was just 12 years old. He was serving faithfully in his father's um, carpenter shop, right? He, he, be, he was a carpenter, and he helped provide for uh, his mom and his other siblings in, in that role till he he was about 30 years old. And then for the last three years of his life, he launched into this very public and very popular ministry where Jesus went all around the Holy Land. He was preaching, he was teaching, he was healing. There were these miraculous events that surrounded him. And all of this was under the umbrella of the primary purpose of his life. So here's the deal. If you're filling in the blanks, go ahead and write this down. Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus knew his purpose. And the question is, do we know ours? Jesus knew he embraced his purpose. Do we embrace ours? And the truth of the matter is one of the interesting things about Jesus is that he didn't sort of know, he didn't conceptually know, vaguely know his purpose. He knew specifically and exactly what his purpose was. Most of us, we would say, oh, we sort of know what our purpose is. We have a general idea. If you're a Jesus follower, maybe you're like me. You, you know you want your life to glorify God. You know you want your life to be a signpost that points toward Jesus. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you know you, you want to be a loving, providing kind of a parent uh, for your kids. And so there, there's sort of these 30,000-foot uh, general ideas of what your purpose is. But Jesus knew specifically. He knew exactly, and it was a very unique purpose that Jesus came to fill, okay? So he knew exactly what his purpose was. This was a couple of weeks before the crucifixion. He tells this to his disciples. They're not yet in Jerusalem. They're getting ready to head toward Jerusalem, and this is what he says. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. By the way, that phrase, son of man, if if it confuses you, just above it in your notes, just write Jesus. Jesus, as you're reading through the Gospels, there are oftentimes he will refer to himself as the son of man. So anytime you come across that in your reading or your studying, just make a mental note, this is Jesus. He's referring to himself here in the third person. The son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day will be raised from the dead. Now, that's pretty specific, right? That's not general. That's not vague. That's not 30,000 foot. That's pretty specific. And, And so it's safe to say Jesus knew exactly what he was heading into. He knew he was heading into difficult, terrible, torturous reality. He knew rejection was on the horizon, rejection from the people who should have been embracing him. He knew that the reality and the the pain and the agony of the crucifixion that lay ahead. And he knew that the crucifixion had to precede the resurrection. So all of this was a part of his purpose. And he knew that he was embracing all of this because he was satisfying the penalty for sin. And so he understood that it all was happening ahead of him in Jerusalem. In fact, in Hebrews 9.15, it says this. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed. You might just want to circle that word penalty. 
Because this is the purpose for which Jesus lived, for which he, he came, his ministry. This, this is the culmination, the primary purpose of, of, of Jesus' life and ministry is to set us free from the penalty of sins that we've committed, that I've committed, that you've committed. Now, Jesus understood this. But he didn't understand this pain that was on the horizon, this dread of the agony that he would experience. He didn't understand it like maybe a child who's in trouble with his mom uh, and, and been sent to his room to wait until dad comes home. You know, that child kind of has this dread and, and is, you know, just, oh, I know something bad's going to happen. It's not, it's not like that. It's not dread like a criminal who knows that they've committed this crime and going to have to go to jail or suffer some consequence and, and, and that dread of, of, of that's on the horizon. It's not that at all. No, no Jesus, he, he knew with clear eyes and a clear mind. And this, this wasn't something that someone else had uh, declared for Jesus. This was deeply affirmed and embraced by Jesus himself before the foundations of time. This is one of those things that's so important for us to get our minds around, that that this was the the reality for which Jesus came to fulfill. So he knew the pain ahead, and yes, there was dread. and, and, And because Jesus is fully God and fully human, from the human perspective, he knew agony of the crucifixion was real agony, the pain of being whipped or spit upon, the pain of spikes being driven through his wrists and feet, he would experience that pain for real as you or I as humans would experience that pain. So this is not just a, a, a lark. It's not a skip through the park for him. He knows what's ahead, but understand he affirms it deeply and has done so since before the foundations of the world were laid. And, and the reason why I have to bring that up is because some of us, we have a difficulty, and I've talked to, I've talked to a few folks who are wrestling with, with maybe becoming a Jesus follower. I've talked to people who are Jesus followers who, who really kind of wrestle with this idea of, you know, the father sacrificing his son for other people. And, and, I, and I just want to say it that way because it is a little stark. And it's stark, maybe even ruthless or barbaric for us to talk about it in our context. I, I certainly don't want to talk about you sacrificing your son for my sake or me sacrificing my son for your sake, right? That, that just gets into the realm of, wait, that doesn't even make any sense. And, and this is where I think our language limits us, our finite understanding limits us. And so what we do as humans is we come up with analogies to use. So let me just use an analogy that, that honestly, I, I have a little bit of trouble with. I'm going to share this with you, and maybe you love this analogy, so I'm really sorry that I'm stepping on your toes. But, but here, here's an analogy that we've heard, this analogy to help us understand. And again, I, I have a little trouble with it. It's the analogy of like a, a guy who operates a mechanical bridge. And it raises and lowers and lets a train go across. And one day, this bridge operator brings his son to work with him. And so as he's there in the operating booth, his son kind of crawls around and, and is playing near the gears of the bridge. And, and all of a sudden, the son gets caught on the gears right when the train is coming. And so the bridge operator has to choose, do I lower the bridge, kill my son, and save the train? Or do I leave the bridge up and save my son, but condemn all these people on the train to death? And, and so there's this analogy, right? And so the bridge operator chooses to lower the bridge 
saving the train, but killing his son. And every time I've heard that analogy, I've even seen a movie kind of bringing that analogy to life. I mean, I've got a lump in my throat, but I don't know if it's a lump in my throat about this noble sacrifice or if it's a lump in my throat saying, is that really what was going on behind the scenes? And, and, and if you wrestle with that picture, and again, if you love that analogy, then honestly, God bless you and don't you know, forget that I was picking on it. But, but here's the deal. If you, if you wrestle with that analogy, let me unpack why. If you wrestle with that analogy, it's because we're not thinking with, with our clear minds. We're not getting our understanding around the concept of the Trinity and the unity and the connection of the Trinity. Because this is one of those things, if you think it's like the father sacrifices his son for people, that's one thing. But, if, but a concept of the Trinity is a triune God takes this sacrifice upon himself so that the world could be saved. And it's a different analogy. And it's a, and a, to me, it's a more whole picture. It's a, it's, it's a deeper understanding of what's really going on. And so the, the trite analogy then would be more like um, God taking a bullet, taking the sin bullet for us, right? The analogy of Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard, right? He jumps in front of Whitney Houston, takes the bullet, saves the day kind of a thing. That kind of analogy would work. And again, the picture of this, theologians call this, and you might want to write this word down, theologians call this deicide. This means the death of God in the flesh on the cross for the salvation of souls, the reconciliation of all things, so that the penalty of sin will be taken care of forever. And Jesus, he not only agreed, on the, he was a part of the wisdom and unity of the Trinity that came up with this plan before the dawn of time. Jesus knew this was what he was signing up for, this, and, and he embraced it, and you know, willingly he chose to enter into this plan with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, that this was going to be the plan for salvation. And so Jesus doesn't just forgive your sins. On the cross, he kicks open the gates of hell. He rips the place to shreds. He grabs the record of your sin, and he destroys it forever removing your sin from you, inviting you into that abundance and that victory, which we can live in a little bit more and more as we follow him in this lifetime, but we will live in fully forever and ever, amen, when we stand before him in heaven. Somebody give me some love right now. This is some good stuff right here. And I'm sorry to get so theological right away, but I just, I want you to understand that this was Jesus' singular, unique, fully affirmed and embraced purpose for his life and ministry. This was not accidental. This was not something that, that an unpleasing father put on him, right? See, the reason why deicide works so well is because in the other concept, it's something else. It's not deicide in the other analogy. It's what's called filicide. Filicide is when a parent murders their child. Now, that's, that's different, and it feels different, and it lands different, and I just want to say really, really clearly, don't murder your kid, and if you have teenagers, I know you feel like murdering your kid. Don't do it, okay? That, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is this. The triune God has chosen before the foundation of time, before the world was ever created, he, he wanted to live in relationship with you. 
And he knew because he builds freedom into the equation so that love could exist, he knew that sin would also exist that would separate us from him. And so this triune God made a plan. And this triune God sacrificed himself on the cross. And this triune God raised to new life. And this triune God invites us to be in relationship with him now and forever. Amen. Okay. Woo! All right. So next feeling. Jesus not only knew his purpose, embraced his purpose, but Jesus shared his purpose with others. Do we share ours? Jesus shared his purpose with us. Do we share ours? Do other people in your life know what you're about? Do they know what's important to you? Do do people recognize, hey, these are my deeply held values. These are my strong convictions. For me, it's a really short list of really essential things, and this is my purpose. Jesus shared his purpose. He, he was sharing with his disciples. He was clear in his purpose. He was very upfront. He was speaking in a language his disciples understood as he shared his purpose. But the truth of the matter is the disciples just didn't seem to grasp it. Here's, here's another example. Same kind of passage. If you're reading through Luke, it's, it's, it's all kind of Luke 9 and following. It's right near the last couple of weeks of his life. It says, All gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. While everyone was marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. Just a little side note. If Jesus calls you over, come here, guys, come here, come here, come here. Listen, listen to me and remember what I say. What do you think you, if, if you're a disciple, what would you try to do right then? Listen and Remember, right? Like that, that, that makes it, okay, this is important. He's like, he's taking a highlighter and drawing it over this next line that he's going to say. I, I really want to pay attention here. So this is what Jesus says. The son of man, again, he's referring to himself. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But look, they didn't know what he meant. Its significance was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. So what's interesting to me is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in each of these gospel accounts, Jesus is very clear to his disciples, this is going to happen. This is my purpose. And in each of these retellings, in each of these, uh, you know, as, as, as the gospel writers communicate this, the disciples, they didn't get it. And we were sitting in our creative team meeting this week, and, and we're trying to describe what it would be like. It would be like if as we're sitting around in that circle, Pastor Dom, you know, who just led us in worship, he says in his really cute German accent, he says, uh, hey, guys, I just want you to know that this Friday, I'm going to be leading worship at the Northwest Ministry Conference at Overlake's Hosting, and, and it's going to go uh, really well. But after uh, I lead worship there, um, I'm going to be betrayed into their hands, and, and they're going... To, to torture me, uh, they'll, they'll kill me probably before the afternoon workshops begin. And then, uh, but I don't want you to worry because um, early on the third day, Sunday morning, I'll be raised to new life and I'll, I'll be here by sound check. So uh, it should be fine. <laughs> and after he recounts that to us, we just are there and we say, sweet, hey, Dom, could you just pass that water bottle right next to your knee there? And 
And it just totally like goes over, like we just don't even register at all. And that's sort of what I sense happening in this context. This is the, the multiple times he's shared this with the disciples. It's not the first time. The multiple times he's talking very clearly in language they understand. But look what the Bible says. It has a few phrases. Its significance was hidden from them. It's as if they listened to the words that he said, but they didn't really hear the significance of the words. It would be like if your anniversary is coming up and your spouse just keeps dropping these loving hints, you know, maybe your wife just keeps dropping these hints that what she'd really like is if you would take her to this super romantic certain place that is special for both of you. And she brings it up not just once, not, you know, twice, but, but several times she keeps dropping this hint and it's not even a hint, it's just really clear in the language that you actually speak all the time. And you hear her and as your anniversary approaches, you decide to buy her instead a gift card to Home Depot. <laughs> now that will not go over very well. And then you could even argue, oh, the significance of your words was lost to me. That will also not go over very well. Okay, right? So, so we have to be better listeners. The, the disciples, he, Jesus even said, hey, listen to me. Remember what I'm saying here. And they, they still miss it. The significance was hidden. Then it says, they couldn't understand it. I actually love how the message paraphrase uh, articulates this. It says, it was like he was speaking a foreign language and they couldn't make heads or tails of it. Right? I know that you've probably had this experience. Maybe you've traveled to other countries or other cultures. You've been in places where other language uh, was, was spoken predominantly and or, or maybe just, you know, here at home, but, but you've got friendships and, and, and wonderful developing friendships cross-culturally, and that's something that's really awesome and affirmed here at Overlake. And so maybe you're in one of those kind of contexts, and another language is being spoken, and you're doing your best to participate. You're, you're listening with, with all that you have, and you're trying to pick up on all of the this, this social cues, and you're looking for any clues, hand motions, really trying to track with what's going on in the conversation but you can't, and so you just smile and nod a lot, right? And, and it is sometimes we're in a context like that where something is lost in translation. In fact, we found a video about this. Go ahead and, and watch this. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Hello, this is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? <laughs> I asked Pastor Dom if that offended him, you know. He assured me, no, it's fine. Sometimes something gets lost in translation, and you could imagine something like that happening in this context with Jesus and the disciples. And then the last phrase the Bible uses, they were afraid to ask. They were afraid to ask. Not, I, I, I don't believe that this, the language used means that they were afraid of Jesus. I don't think they were afraid that he'd be angry with them for not understanding. I think the, the, the context is more they were embarrassed to ask. 
as if they all made this assumption, I should know what he's talking about. I just don't. And, and, and so they just collectively, they were, they were silent, assuming that the others knew and, and embarrassed to just raise a hand and say, is this literal? Is it, is it metaphorical? Is it spiritual? Is it political? Is it like a death of not being in power? Like, like there was no clarifying question here. They, they were afraid, embarrassed to ask. And I was thinking, sometimes this happens. In fact, I, was, I, I saw it actually happen recently. My son has joined a, a wrestling club. And this wrestling club has an incredible coach, truly just a phenomenal coach. All, the, the other athletes in this wrestling club are becoming just total champions, world-class athletes. It's, it's wonderful to watch what's happening. And as the coach will gather all of the wrestlers around, he will coach them, he will instruct them and use language that is fairly common. I mean, it's, it's English, and I speak English predominantly, so I, I, can he, I can hear the words. I even know all the words. They are not unfamiliar words to me. But I confess to you that as he's talking to the wrestlers, I have no idea what he actually means by them. I'll give you a, a couple of examples. I wrote them down. Um, shoot the arm. Shoot the arm. Now, I know what those words mean. I have no idea what he's talking about. I assume it's not like, okay, uh, you know, ow. Like, like that, that's not what he means, but, but I don't know what he means. Or put your head in the hole. Um, go flat, go flat. Like that, What? You, you know, I just, and then I, you can sort of see incomprehension in the actual wrestlers, too. And then they get out in the mat, and they start grappling, and they'll, they'll try a few moves, or, or they'll try to do what they think the coach is saying. The coach will come over and give them a little more instruction, and then all of a sudden, in the context of them actually working it out, suddenly it makes sense. And then now they're, oh, that's, that's what he meant. Now I get it now. I can just imagine the disciples getting together after the resurrection, and the disciples getting together, oh, oh, that's what he meant. Now, it's, it's so clear. He, you know, he even said that once, twice. It was like multiple times he would talk about getting, you know, tortured and then dying and then being raised to new life. Do you guys know something? Even though he said that last week, I didn't know what he meant. And they're all like, oh, me either. I didn't know what he meant either. Gosh, I had no idea. Peter's like, oh, I knew. I totally knew. You did not. They throw their falafel at him. No way. Right? This idea of they were afraid to act. There was incomprehension. They just didn't grasp it. And here's the deal. The important thing is Jesus, he, he, he even tells it. He treated them like friends. And he wanted to bring them along. He wanted them to understand the primary purpose was so that this would happen. He knew they might not get it all the way right away, but, but he knew that there would be a day when they would look back and go, Jesus told us that. Jesus, he predicted this. This was not accidental. This wasn't just bad luck. It wasn't just a, a, a rum turn of events. This, this was what he knew was supposed to happen as he accomplished his primary purpose. He shared his purpose with them. And again, the question is, do the people in your life, do they know what your purpose is? Are you open with them? Are you bringing them along with you? Jesus affirmed his purpose. Jesus shared his purpose. The next feeling, Jesus stayed focused on his purpose. Do we? 
Jesus stayed focused, absolutely focused, steadfastly determined. In fact, in Luke chapter 951, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Such great language. You might want to circle that phrase, set his face. Underneath it, just write the word determination. He set his face. He would not be deterred. He knew exactly what awaited him, and yet with with grave determination, he set his face toward Jerusalem, and he went. Man, what a beautiful picture of grit, of that tenacity, of that mental toughness, that, that discipline that Jesus had over himself. He knew exactly where the road was going to lead, and yet he set his face. You know, how do you do on that score? How do we do? Typically, I, I, would, I would venture a guess that we're not that great at setting our face, no matter what the cost. We know it's going to be tough, but we're just determined. We're steadfast. We're going to follow through. Oftentimes, we get, we get distracted. Oftentimes, we look ahead. We think it's going to be hard. We get discouraged before we even get there, so we bail. We give ourselves the out. This is, this is where we experience temptation early on. Oh, you can leave that. You can quit that. You can, you can bail. You, can, you, know, you, you deserve it. Take the easy road. And, and, and this is one of those things where you have to recognize this idea of steadfast determination, this mental discipline, it's required for living a life of abundance and intimacy with Jesus. It's required for, for this faith journey that we're on with him. And, 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 and we see it in Jesus. I, I, so again, I'm not trying to like bring it way down. Let me just give you one really safe example of, of how I see this play out, even in my own life, and I think in, in many lives. This idea of if, if you're going to build, think about your physical fitness for a moment. If you're going to build a workout into your life, if you're going to b- build a workout schedule into your life, you're going to need this mental focus. You're going to need this determination. And the reason you're going to need it is because there's just too many other things to do. There's too many other things that, that are required of your time. There's just too many other priorities out there. And so if you're not mentally focused, if you're not disciplined, you're, you'll just, it never just accidentally happens. You, just, you never just fall into a workout. Like you've got to make it happen. And, and, and so, you know, because that requires something that most of us have a tough time with, we just, we just don't, right? We, we just don't build it in. Or you might be like me and, and where you recognize that even if it is a priority and you start to build workouts into your sort of schedule, weekly schedule or whatever, that as workouts get tough, if they get tough, then you sort of give yourself an out, right? Like you, you just feel, oh, this is a bit hard today. You know, you don't need to complete this. Oh, you know, why don't you just put in a little effort and how can you make it a little easier? Like there's always this temptation going on to diminutize something. And if you've ever trained for something big like a marathon, Ironman, any, you know, the STP, bike race, any of these kinds of things, you know that the longer the workout, the more the temptation comes to quit. 
On Friday of this week, I shared with you before that this year I'm trying this thing called P90X, and so I popped in my little DVD, P90X, and I started my workout, and the thing was on Friday, I knew I had a massive to-do list. I had all kinds of things I had to do. So I was kind of watching the minutes, you know, and the workout's about an hour long, and I'm like, oh, do I even have an hour to do this? And so I'm doing my workout, and as the workout's going, of course, it's getting a little harder, and I'm like, oh, maybe I really don't have an hour uh, to do this, you know, and maybe I should just do it a little bit. It's about 25% of the way through. I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. I don't think I have an hour, you know, and, and uh, got to the 50% mark. I was like, well, let's just do 60% maybe. And, and so I got to the 60% mark and I hit a uh, stop on the DVD and I felt a little bad about it. And uh, I showered off and I started my tasks, you know, getting them done. And I was like, oh man, I, I, I feel, I can't believe I quit, you know. And, and I was like, well, I'll use it as a sermon illustration. So really, you're the reason why I quit. (laughs) You're welcome. Do do you want to know when I experienced the greatest temptation to quit a workout? Before I ever begin. So think about that for Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He He hadn't gone to Jerusalem yet. He knew exactly what awaited him in Jerusalem. And so instead of avoiding, now he would wrestle. I'm not trying to diminutize this, guys. I, Jesus wrestled mightily. If you know this, the, his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know he wrestled. He knew the dread. He knew the agony, the pain, the torture. He knew the suffering. But he set his face. And he was determined and he was focused, and he followed through. And it's going to be required of us, friends. This is a part of what it is that you and I are going to have to embrace, right, as we stay focused on the purpose for which God has called us to. I found this great verse from Isaiah 50. Look at this. For the Lord God will help me. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. You might want to underline that. I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. That, 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 that idea, uh, I, I, have, I have carved my features in stone on this one. This is, this is how determined I am. I, I, I will be unmoved. You cannot divert me from my course. You know, do me a favor. Set your face right now and then look up here. I want to see your determined faces. Can you do this? Look, Tammy, that's a good one. Actually, now it's a laughter. That does not work, actually. I need, oh, that's good. That's excellent. Good job. Fierce. You guys are fierce. You have it in you. I have it in me. Jesus is with us in this. He gives us the model for what this looks like, and then he helps us to do it. Stay focused on your purpose. Last feeling, people were at the heart of his purpose. Who is at the center of ours? People were at the center of his purpose. Who's at the center of ours? Jesus, with his disciples, they they headed toward Jerusalem. And the route that Jesus took often was he would go through Bethany. And certainly this is... uh, 
it's, if you read through the Gospel of John, that's, he, he was in Bethany, his friends, Lazarus and Martha and Mary, and, and he, would, he would stay at their house. And then he would go ahead and, and go up over the Mount of Olives, and as he crested the Mount of Olives, he would look down on the city. The city of Jerusalem laid out before him, this, this walled wonder of the ancient world. And if you're familiar with the geography, as he, as he came over the Mount of Olives, right at the closest corner of the city is the Temple Mount. And so the temple, all of its glory, just, just beautiful, shining there, giving honor to the Father. And, and so Jesus came up over the hill and he looked down upon the city. And, and this is what the scripture says, his, his deep emotional reaction in Luke 19, 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you, close you in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And you could just, you could just see the emotion, how, how deep the distress is. How I wish, he says. How I wish the you, my people, the city that I love, that you, even you, would understand the way to peace because that's his purpose, to bring peace, right? Because of what Jesus accomplishes, we have peace with God. We have peace with one another. We have peace within our own selves. I wish that you understood the way to peace. God visiting you. But then he leaves this prophecy. He says, but, but you're missing it. And so there'll be a day when ramparts will be built against your walls. You'll be encircled by an enemy army that they, they will raise this place to the ground, stone off of stone, everything overturned. And those of you who know history, you know that just a few decades after Jesus said these words, that's exactly what happened. That the Roman army came in and, and they quashed the Jewish rebellion they encircled Jerusalem, and, and they destroyed its walls. They destroyed its foundations. The temple was destroyed and has never been rebuilt. This is exactly what happens. And, and for those of you who know current events, you know that even today, 2,000 years later, that that peace that Jesus was talking about in Jerusalem, it is still elusive. It is still a city that is deeply divided, where tensions are rife, that it is a city at unrest. There is no peace. So Jesus had this deep heart. His heart was a heart that ached for Jerusalem. His heart was a heart that was so for Jerusalem. Oh, if only you would receive the peace. If only you would receive this recognition that God is visiting you. If only you would let God love you. If only you would let God grace you. If only you would let God save you. His heart ached for the city. And the question I have is, is does your heart ache for your city? I mean, have you ever come down the five and, and as you come down kind of cresting over where the U district is, you see the, the whole skyline of Seattle laid out in front of you. Has your heart ever just ached? Oh, if only... Everyone here would know that 
They're made in this beautiful image of God. Oh, if only everyone here would know that God loves you so much. He has so much grace for you. He has so much life for you. Oh, if only this city, or maybe it's, it's not the city. Is there a person in your life? A person that you, you care for, a friend, maybe one of your relatives, a neighbor, and your heart just aches, aches that they would know God's grace, that they would know his love. You see, friends, every time we operate out of this posture where people are at the center, where we, we long to bring love or salvation or healing into these other lives, you need to understand that, that we're fulfilling our purpose and God is receiving glory. So that's what Jesus says. I got one more verse here for you. Jesus is speaking in John 12, 27. It says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? Again, the wrestle was real for Jesus. But this is the very reason I came. He said, this is his purpose. Father, bring glory to your name. Friends, what Jesus did is he came to seek and to save the lost as his primary purpose. And as he fulfilled his purpose, God the Father received glory. When you and I join Jesus in his purpose, when we seek and we seek to, to bring God's love. We seek to bring God's healing and hope. We seek to bring salvation to those made in God's image. Then, friends, God receives his glory. I want to wrap up with one final thought. It'll be on the screen if you want to write it down. Fulfilling purpose requires preparation, clarification, determination, and it glorifies God, our Father. And so I'm going to encourage you to live your purpose, embrace it, share it with others, that, that, that you would make people at the heart of it and that you would glorify God as you fulfill it. Why don't you do this? Bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray and let's ask Jesus for the help to live out the life that he calls us to. Lord Jesus, first and foremost, we want to thank you for fulfilling your purpose. We want to thank you for paying the penalty of sin. We want to thank you that you chose to walk that road before the foundations of time. And yet, in your infinite wisdom, you knew us by name. And you knew how deeply we would need your salvation, your grace, and your love. And so for that, Jesus, we just want to tell you that we are incredibly and intensely grateful. We are so thankful for you. We love you, and, and we receive this gift of, of your salvation, this gift of your grace in our lives. But Lord, we also want to live out our purpose. We want to live this out not in, in separation from you. We want to live it out in conjunction with you, Jesus. But we need your help, so we invite the Holy Spirit to come right now. Would you fill us up, Lord? Would you allow us to have the courage? Would you allow us to, to be bold? Would you allow us to share with others, to bring your healing and your love, to bring your grace and your joy, your peace, Lord Jesus, to our city, to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our workplaces. We pray that you'd let us fulfill our unique purpose to bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen.